0: Well, last Sunday was Easter Sunday, and I'm sure you read on the news uh, the terrible events that took place in Sri Lanka as three Christian churches and three luxury hotels in the capital city of Colombo were targeted in a a series of coordinated suicide attacks, uh, attacks by suicide bombers. Uh, If you read the newspapers or online or saw the news, you would have seen that this was Uh, was thought to have been planned by a terrorist group to cause maximum destruction as they targeted Christians during Easter worship services right across the nation uh, and breakfast time in these luxury hotels. Uh, I read the the reports these are the deadliest ever uh, attacks against Sri Lanka's small Christian minority Uh, In Sri Lanka, there's a population of about 21 million people, and only 7% are Christians. And of that 7%, about 82% of those 7% are Roman Catholics. So there's a very small minority of Christians and much less even evangelicals. Uh, Over 250 people have been killed, more than 500 injured. Almost all were Sri Lankans, although some 40 or so foreign nationals are among the dead, including many Brits. Uh, And many children as well. It's a sad event. Uh, If you read the newspapers, it says the evidence is mounting that a local jihadist group linked to Islamic State or IS or ISIL or whatever they might go by uh, have claimed responsibility. And on Tuesday, uh, one of uh, the kind of news outlets, a propaganda outlet for the Islamic State said that the perpetrators of the attack targeted the citizens of the coalition countries so countries in the westernized countries like us like the United States they were targeted together this is what they claimed together with Christians in Sri Lanka and then they released a video of the men who they said it were its bombers pledging allegiance to ISIS and their ideology so how are we as Christians supposed to respond to tragic events such as we witnessed last Sunday? How are we as Christians supposed to uh, respond when other Christians, our brothers and sisters, granted those we've never seen or met, are targeted and experience unjust suffering? And how are we as Christians living in this world, in this area, in this community, uh, which is Uh, different but nonetheless hostile to our faith and to our saviour how are we to respond when we experience trials and persecution for our faith it may not be that people are bombing the hotels or the churches that we go to they may not be seeking our downfall and our death but they may mistreat us and abuse us because of our faith in Jesus Well, we know from our studies so far that 1 Peter has written to such people for such a time. Peter is using his letter here to address Christians living in first century Roman Empire who are struggling under the hostility and the mistreatment of the world around them. And he wants to answer such questions about how we should respond. In our passage that we're about to read in a moment, Peter is transitioning from what he's, he's been talking about, submission uh, to authorities and to workplace bosses and employers and to uh, within the household to, as husbands and wives. And now he's transitioning to speak about suffering for the sake of the gospel. So not suffering in general terms, but specifically how we respond when people mistreat us because we're followers of Jesus. And he's going to give us two responses in the passage that we're about to read. Uh, So we're going to pick it up in verse 8, which I know we've already covered, but it's part of the same unit. We're going to read through to the end of verse 17 together. And then we're going to see the two responses that Peter calls us to when faced with following Jesus in a hostile world. This is God's word to us through the handwriting of Peter. And this is what God says. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy and brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. That you may obtain a blessing for Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. God's word to us. Two responses when we think about Big, tragic attacks against Christians like those in Sri Lanka. Or when we think about more trivial responses, uh, trivial attacks against Christians around the workplace or in the neighbourhood or at school. Two responses that Peter gives us here. Firstly, in verses 9 to 12, we get a response of be Christ-like. And then in verses 13 to 17, be christ Honoring. So, how should Christians respond to persecution and unjust suffering for the sake of Jesus? Be Christ-like, be Christ-honoring. Let's begin with that first one. Be Christ-like in verses nine through twelve. Well, already, as I said, Matt covered verse eight for us separately, and that summarizes how the church is supposed to be towards one another, how we're supposed to live as brothers and sisters, characterized and marked. In our relationships together as a local church family by brotherly love and unity together. Then in verse 9 Peter moves subtly to address how Christians should respond to those outside the church who inflict evil upon the church. Okay so whether it's the first century, or whether it's the 21st century, whether it's under the Roman occupation or whether it's in our world in Bristol, the common response and the, the kind of the natural instinct, uh, if you're like me, towards those who do us harm and seek to do evil towards us and, and are malicious towards us, the normal, common human response down through the ages is retaliation or retribution or revenge. So you even see it with our kids. Who has, who has seen their kids shout at one another something like, it's not fair, I'm going to get you back. It's a natural response to suffering unjustly in our view. Or we say things like, I'm not going to you, let you get away with that. Or we say, oh, it's payback time. You know, and it's seen in all kinds of places, not just in our homes and in our children, but someone cuts us up on the road and what do we do? We go, we go around them and we cut back in on them and we go, yeah, right, you deserve that. Or we do different things to get our own way and our own back on someone who wrongs us. Now, Peter knows all about this. He's not, it's not a hypothetical kind of uh, academic exercise for Peter. If you remember um, it, that very, first kind of Maundy Thursday, if you like, back 2,000 years ago, late on that Thursday evening outside of Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples are in the garden of Gethsemane and Judas leads a small band of soldiers into the garden to arrest Jesus. And he betrays him by a kiss into the hands of his enemies so that he could be put on trial and Executed on a cross. And what does Peter do in the midst of this betrayal and this arrest of Jesus? He whips out his sword and he cuts the ear off of one of the men who's in the group come to arrest Jesus. He seeks revenge and retribution because he thinks that this is not right. He knows the sinful inclinations of our hearts towards retaliation and towards revenge. And yet, in that moment, Jesus picks up the guy's ear, puts it back on his head and heals him and rebukes Peter in doing so. Because revenge and retaliation is inconsistent with gospel mission. So Peter knows firsthand the temptations, but he calls us to be markedly different from the world around us. He calls us to be Christ-like. In the face of unjust suffering, the temptations to respond with angry words and with angry thoughts and with unkindness and with mouthing off and gossip and slander and malice and evil are not allowed for those who claim the name of Jesus Christ as their saviour. If you have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The command here in verse nine is do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. That's no longer an option. It's not something that is on the table anymore. Tempting as it might be to strike back against those who do us harm. But if you notice, Peter goes even further Not responding to insults and slander and mistreatment is difficult. I'll I'll grant you that. I find that difficult. I want to get my own way and get my own back. Non-retaliation is hard. There's no doubt about it. But God calls us to go even further, way beyond simply restraining our sinful responses. In fact, he calls us to do the unthinkable. Did you see that in verse 9? Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. He calls us to do the unthinkable. He calls us not just to restrain our evil thoughts towards our enemies, but to bless them. This is right in line with Paul's commandments. You get uh, Romans twelve seventeen: repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. Well, 1 Corinthians 5, 15, see that no one repays any, anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. This is right in line with uh, and rooted in the teaching and the example of Jesus. Consider his words on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. What are we to do? Rejoice and be glad. Not revenge and retribution. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Or what about Jesus in Luke chapter 6, 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who who abuse you. In the Greek culture at the time, uh, to bless someone was to speak well of them in public. So if you wanted to bless someone, you would big them up in public. But Jesus here tells us it goes further than just speaking well of someone in public. It's speaking God's favour on someone. It's praying for them. Bless those who curse you now don't misunderstand we're not saying and God is not saying and Peter is not saying that we should bless evildoers and ask God to uh, to make what they do with their hands successful and may they prosper in all they do and may their lives just be cupcakes and rainbows no we're not to play to pray those kind of blessings on them but we're to pray for them what are we to pray we're to pray that their eyes might be open to see the depths of their sin that their eyes might be open to behold the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that God in his mysterious providence and in his grace might grant them repentance. That he would do for them what they need most of all. That God would save them. So when we sing stuff like there's no sinner beyond the reach of your mercy. Do we really believe that? And is that really seen in the way that we pray for our enemies? The story is told of a Christian soldier who was living in the barracks with his unit. Each evening he would read his Bible and pray before retiring to bed. And the company of men around him would insult him and revile him, uh, particularly one individual who was just across the aisle from him in the next bed. One night, a pair of muddy boots came flying across the aisle at the Christian, hitting him in the head. The next morning, the hostile soldier found his boots at the end of his bed, cleaned and polished and ready for the morning inspection. Several of the soldiers in this company eventually became Christians as a result of the Christ-likeness of this man who returned blessing in the face of insult are we like that or are we like Stephen remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7 he was the first martyr who was stoned for his unwavering faith in Jesus Christ in Luke 7 verses 59 and 60 as they were stoning Stephen he called out Lord Jesus receive my spirit then falling to his knees he cried out with a loud voice Lord do not hold this sin against them in other words Lord forgive them as Christ cried out from the cross forgive them for they do not know what they are doing and then when he had said this Stephen fell asleep he died now perhaps we think well what could that prayer do he died And yet, if you read on the very next verse, you find in the very midst of the stoning of Stephen, there was a young Pharisee by the name of Saul who was breathing out murderous threats against Christians. And he led a wide persecution, a violent persecution against Christians, going to neighboring towns and villages and cities, arresting Christians so that he could throw them into jail because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And then what happens just one chapter later in Acts chapter 9? Stephen's prayer is answered. Saul is knocked down to the ground. And sees with his very eyes the risen Lord Jesus. Who says why are you persecuting me? And then Christ moves in his heart to transform his life. And he becomes the Apostle Paul. Stephen's prayer was answered. His Christ likeness was a testimony to those who looked on and it made a difference so for us if we've got enemies well do you think you've got any enemies I don't know enemies maybe is a bit too strong a word you got people who don't like you because you're a Christian maybe some of your family or your friends don't like you because you're a religious nutter maybe some people in the neighborhood don't like you Or in your workplace or at your school and they laugh at you and they mock you and they talk behind your back and they gossip about you and they slander you and they spread false rumors about you or they make your life difficult because they know you are a Christian and because of your faith in Jesus. Here Peter calls us to refrain from retaliation and revenge and retribution and to repent of sinful attitudes and self-righteousness that we might uh, have in our hearts towards those who revile us and instead bless Pray for our enemies. Show mercy to them as God has shown mercy to us. And then what we're to do is we're to watch God work. If we pray, God will work. He did in Stephen's life. He's done in so many other places. It's not easy. Granted, it is not easy. In fact, it can almost look like a superhuman effort is needed. But we've got the spirit living within us. So we don't need superhuman efforts we need supernatural help and we have that yet not I but Christ in me we can be Christ-like because Christ is in us and Peter here calls us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ go back to the end of chapter 2 and see how Christ was here's what Peter says for to this you have been called here we go again same words as we've just seen in verse 9 for to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. For he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. For he himself bore our sins, those Those temptations and sins of revenge and retribution and retaliation. Christ has borne them in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. We were like straying sheep. But now we've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Christ is with us and is able to empower us to be Christ-like he then goes on to support this command and his promise by quoting from psalm 34 this is verses 10 through 12 and the psalm 34 is a, is a psalm of david who and he wrote it when he was being unjustly pursued by king saul saul wanted him dead because david was following god and saul made david's life a misery David endured unjust suffering and persecution at the hands of Saul, but he is able to testify in Psalm 34 to the promise that God will deliver those who suffer unjustly. And so in including Psalm 34, Peter is is basically saying, listen, you were called to bless those who do bad to you. And if you do that, if you bless, then you'll inherit the blessing of eternal life. Because just as it says in the Psalms, just as it was in the Old Testament, all those who wish to experience the life of the age to come, all those who wish to experience eternal life and inherit the blessing of life with God forevermore. You've got to turn away from evil. You've got to keep your tongue from lying and your lips from speaking deceit. You've got to pursue good And peace, and in doing so, God delivers those who do that. Look at what it says in verse 12: the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter is just telling us here. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Peter is just telling us God calls all of his people, Old Testament, New Testament, to bless those who persecute you, to live in a way that pursues peace with them. And if you've received new life, if you've been born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you will live such a transformed life. That will provide the necessary evidence that you have been saved. That's what he means when he says in verse nine, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Peter is not saying that our salvation is contingent upon our good works. He's saying our good works flow from our salvation. If we've received the blessing, we will bless So when faced with unjust suffering and insult and evil, Peter's readers, that's you and me, we've got a choice. How will we respond? Will we get our own back or will we be Christ like? But then he moves on to the second response in verses 13 to 17. Be Christ like. Honouring. So not only be Christ-like in the way that we behave, but be Christ-honouring in the way that we live. Uh, and in verse 13, he uses this uh, a rhetorical question to make his point. So in verse 13, he says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So he's basically saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? Same as Paul in Romans 8.31. If God is for us, then who can be against us? If you are zealous for what is good, if you are living a life, pursuing peace, turning away from evil, seeking God, being Christ-like, then who can do you harm? Well, it might be that we suffer in this life, but ultimately our future inheritance is guaranteed. That's what he's getting at here. Who is there who can harm you if you are zealous for what is good? good but even if you should suffer in this life for righteousness sake well that's a blessing in itself now you might be sitting there thinking well, how does he put suffering and blessing in the same sentence and say that's a good thing But Peter here is telling us, if we suffer for righteousness sake, so not for stupidity or for sins, but if we suffer for righteousness sake, for following Jesus, that will be a blessing to us. Well, how is it a blessing? Well, it's a blessing because it points to the fact that we truly are born again. For who could do and suffer under the hand of such suffering? Were it not for Christ in us, the hope of glory. So Peter says, look, if God is for you, no matter what gets thrown at you, they can throw the kitchen sink at you. But if God is for you, you are guaranteed an eternal inheritance that is kept for you in heaven. It's unfading. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. And the power of God is keeping it. And the power of God is keeping you for it. That's what we looked at in chapter one therefore don't fear anybody or anything in this life because the enemies that we have and the world that we live in that's hostile to us won't have the last laugh it won't have the last word god does don't fear now again this is not hypothetical academia to peter if you remember before the The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ he was uh, after that first Thursday night he went to the courtyard of the high priest where Jesus was put on trial and do you remember what happened to Peter in that courtyard three times he denied him knowing Jesus three times he denied that Jesus was his Lord three times he denied that Jesus was his friend even to a young servant girl and this was the same Peter who hours, if, you know, days certainly, if not hours before, had been so brash as to declare his unflinching loyalty and his unwavering allegiance to Jesus. And now a servant girl says, are you his friend? He goes, no, no, I'm not. No, no, you're confusing me with someone else. And yet two to three months later, Jesus finds himself before the same Jewish crowd who crucified Jesus. And with a new spirit empowered boldness and courage he says these words in Acts chapter 4 verse 1. As they were speaking to the people the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon Peter and John greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming jesus the resurrection from the dead so they arrested them and they put them into custody until the next day for it was already evening but many of those who heard their words believed and the number of men who believed came to about five thousand then it describes uh the kangaroo court that peter and john are, are drawn in front of and peter in verse eight stands up and says rulers of the people and the elders if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead by him this man is standing before you this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders which has become the cornerstone that's familiar isn't it first peter chapter 2 and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved peter is qualified to tell us not to fear people because he went from a man who was fearful of little servant girls to a man who had utter confidence in Jesus before the the Jewish religious rulers of the time do not fear if God is for us who can stand against us if we're zealous for what is good Who is there who can harm us? Therefore, do not fear. Have no fear of them or the things that they threaten, nor be troubled. Can you imagine? I I was thinking about this this week. How different my life would look if I actually believed that this was true. You know, so I was thinking about this. How different would my conversations with my neighbours be? There would actually be conversations with G about Jesus if I really believed that this was true. If I really believed that there was no one who could do harm to me and I should not fear anybody because of my faith in Jesus Christ, then it should make a massive difference to the way that I live. And yet I too often, I do, I shrink away from those hard conversations. I shrink away from inviting them to church or I shrink away from inviting them into our home because I think, oh, I don't want them to not like me because I'm a Christian I don't want to have that awkward silence I don't want them to laugh in my face and say come on now why are you hoping in a Jewish guy who's been dead 2,000 years oh no he's alive well how well, I believe he was raised from the dead well where's the proof and then you think oh, oh I don't want to get into a conversation like that so I'll just I'll just talk about the weather and the football and the patio How different would my life look if I really believed that I had nothing to fear? How different would your life look? How different would our thoughts and our actions and our conversations and our priorities be if we didn't fear others? You know, we sing that song, Jesus is Better. You see, in all my sorrows and in all my riches and in all of this and in all of that and in all of this, Jesus is better. I sing that, and I go, oh, Lord, I need to get to that line that says, make my heart believe. Because I don't so often. But I want to. Because Jesus does tell us here, through the words of Peter, there is no one and nothing that can harm us. If I'm zealous for doing what is good and even if I was to suffer for righteousness sake, that will be a blessing. Why? Because because pe- in the words of Jesus, Matthew five, we've already re- read them. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you on account of me. Because that just proves you're one of mine. Just like the prophets were. And they were mistreated and reviled. So we're called to be Christ honoring. Look at verse 15 because here Peter explains why we should have no fear and how we should respond. Have no fear of them nor be troubled but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. Here he tells us continue if you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ continue to treat him as holy continue to trust in him don't turn away from him don't look for other things that could um, take his place treat him and honor him as holy fear him with awe and reverence and respect and honor he is the risen Lord we don't make him Lord he is Lord. Therefore, demonstrate and acknowledge that lordship in your life, in your heart by honouring him. Now, when Peter says honour him in your heart, he doesn't mean just hide him away in the deepest, most inaccessible, invisible recesses of your inner life. No, in the New Testament, as in all of scripture, the heart is the seat of our entire being. It's our wills, it's our emotions, it's our, it's our behaviours, everything Flows from the heart. So it, it, Proverbs, Proverbs four twenty three. The writer of Proverbs says, "Guard your heart, for from it flows the wellspring of life." Our hearts—it's everything about us. So Peter here is saying, "Honor Christ with everything that you have. In everything, will, emotions, behavior, life, thoughts, actions. Honor Him as Lord." It's—it's it's, it's not a private, intimate, personal, individual matter. No, Christ being Lord is is something that will inevitably and eventually come out. If it's in your heart, it will come out in our lives. In Mark chapter seven, Jesus says it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of his heart. What comes out of our hearts affects our outside and our bodies and what we do and what we say, and what we think. So Peter says, if you are honoring Christ In your heart as Lord, that will change the way that you live, especially in suffering. This verse 15 is a call here to show the world that Christ has captured our hearts and he controls our hearts. That we're joyful in the face of suffering, that we're kind in the face of unkindness, that we're loving towards those who don't love us. We're submissive to those who are in authority over us. We forgive those who sin against us. We pursue Christ likeness in every area of our life. It's having a deep and and an unshakable confidence in Jesus Christ that changes everything about us. And as we live this way, as we honour Christ in our hearts, Peter says, listen, people are going to come towards you with questions. Verse 15. In your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, uh, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. So how do we know if we're honouring Christ in our hearts and it's changing the way that we're living? Peter says, People will come with questions. Some people will come with accusations, which is why he uses the word defense. So sometimes it could be informal. Sometimes it could be formal. Sometimes it could be conversations over the fence. Other times it might be a conversation in a courtroom for being a Christian. But Peter says if you're living in a way that follows Christ in a hostile world, be sure people will ask you questions about why you live that way. And when you do. Be ready to answer them. Be ready to give them an answer for who you are, why you are the way that you are, why you are different, and what makes that difference. Sometimes verse fifteen is used as the proof text for uh, pursuing apologetics and Christian philosophy and understanding in the world, and that's certainly a legitimate application of the verse but Peter is not calling Christians to a study of apologetics he's not saying every Christian needs to be an expert in the deepest most profound questions of life in the universe some people need to do that some people need to be ready to answer rigorously and academically about how the Christian faith marries up with science and history and philosophy and this and that and the other but here Peter is calling just regular Christians like you and me to be prepared to give the reason for our hope and when he's talking about hope it's not our own pers- little personal piece of hope he's talking about the hope that is in you that you there is plural what is the hope that you Christians as a church have it's not oh well I hope because I put my hope in Jesus when I was five it's I have hope together with God's people that Christ was crucified and was raised on the third day it's a call to be ready to give our hope as believers So verse 15 is the way that we respond when we're faced with unjust suffering, when we're faced with accusations, when we're faced even with just friendly questions. How should we live? Well, he says, be Christ-like, be Christ-honouring. Honour Christ in your heart as Lord and be ready to make a defence, to give an answer for the hope that we have. A hope That one has paid for our sins, that one has died in our place, that one was raised to life and that with him, united to him. His death is our death and his life is our life. It's being ready to be so sure and so confident that we're able to say this isn't pie in the sky. This is true and it can be true for you too. There's hope in a risen Jesus, one who died but is alive again and offers the rescue and the forgiveness from sin. Peter wants us to be Christ-like and unapologetically Christ-honoring. To testify to the truth and power and reality of the gospel in our lives but then look at verse 16 because he goes on to say how we should do this with gentleness and respect that's the same words he used in earlier in chapter 3 to speak about wives having a gentle and quiet spirit gentleness and respect gentleness right there have a good conscience so we're not just to say the right things we're to live the right things too We're to honour Christ with our lips and our lives. We're called to live in such a way that upholds the testimony, not undercuts it. We're to live with humility and meekness, not arrogance and aggression. We're not to strike back at those who strike at us. We're to advance the the gospel of Jesus Christ by emulating the manner and the tone of Jesus Christ. We're to further the cause of Christ by by being people who exhibit the character of Christ. We're to talk the talk and walk the walk. And the result is in verse 16 and 17. That those who persecute us. Those who mock us. Those who accuse us. Those who stand against us might be put to shame. That's not that they'll get embarrassed. That's that uh, it's a a kind of it's a military term. They will not experience the shame of defeat. The shame of being uh, of losing the battle. they they will experience that they will come to realize as we live as God's people with our lives on display with our lips testifying to our hope they will come to see that they were on the wrong side of history and that Christ is victorious and triumphant and they will experience the disgrace of rejecting him So Peter wants us to see that suffering for the sake of Jesus is not a burden to be borne, But a blessing to be received. Because it's an opportunity for us to grow in our likeness of Christ. And it's an opportunity for us to grow in our honouring of Christ. Let's pray. Father we thank you this morning for your word to us. We pray that you would make us a people who are both more and more like you in every regard in how we live in what we say and how we think and we pray that you would make us a people who are christ-honoring that we want to draw attention to you and proclaim you and make you known both with our lips and our lives we ask these things in your precious name and for your glory